Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12 plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. Because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the teaching series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there, and welcome to another episode in the teaching series. Today, we are going to look at a really cool passage in Luke chapter 7. So I'm just going to dive right in here, and uh, we're going to have some fun looking at another fantastic story, not only in the Bible, but in the life of Jesus. So verse 11 goes like this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the burr they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, this is one of those stories that we could look at from so many different angles. And we could talk about like why Luke is giving us certain details about the woman and how Luke is connecting the language of what the people say, particularly in verse 16 to chapter 1 and how he's pulling this together from a literary perspective. There's so many really cool aspects about this passage. But what I'm interested in for our time today is where this story took place. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, Brett, like Jesus just raised a dude back to life. You're not going to spend time talking about that. Um, No, (laughs) not really. Not in this particular teaching, because I want to focus in on the geography of where this story took place, and you'll see why in just a few moments. So here we go. One of the things that we have to understand when it comes to the scriptures is that the Jews had a profound sense of place. This is a phrase that my friend Cindy Parker said in a conference that we were doing together uh, last summer, and it was like, yes, what a great way to synthesize this reality that is in the scriptures. 
and also just this idea connected to it that geography holds the memory. And we understand this. We get this. If you were to drive back through the neighborhood you grew up in, if you hadn't been in that city or that neighborhood for decades, like the moment you got into the city and particularly once you hit your street, like all of these memories would flood back to you as from, from your time as a kid, right? Playing in the street, cul-de-sac, sidewalk, yards, whatever, because you're entering back into that location, that geography, and all of these memories get spurred. So we get that. We understand that. For the Jewish people, like geography was really, really important. In fact, one of the things that I talk about in the ebook, the number one mistake most everyone makes reading the Bible, and for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, maybe you didn't know that this ebook was available. You can snag it at walkingthetext.com, or maybe for some of you who are watching this series and maybe you just started tuning in a few weeks ago and you didn't know about this, um, you can get this off my site. I actually haven't talked about um, the ebook or this graphic for uh, a number of videos now, but the whole idea behind this graphic here is that these are the six lenses with which we want to read the Bible through in order to understand a text, a passage, in its ancient context. Because everything has context. Context matters. If we don't understand the context, then we don't really understand the text well. So for this particular passage in Luke, we could talk about all the whole passage through all six of these lenses. But what I want to do is just really focus in on the geography side of things because one of the things that I made this statement in this ebook is that I believe that 90% of the biblical stories are predicated by the geography. That just knowing the geography like unlocks why the story even took place um, in the first place. And so one of the questions we want to ask and one of the questions that I include in the ebook in this geographical lens section is where does the story take place? So let's look at this because we open up our text and it says soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. So Luke is giving us the location. Very, very, very important. So on a map here, on the very northern part of the country, just to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee in this box region, this is where this story is taking place, and this is what that box looks like in an actual aerial photo. So from the south here, looking north, you got this beautiful mountain hill ridge area here. This in the scriptures is known as the Hill of Moray. Now, if we were to swing around to the west and take a photo looking east, this is the photo that we would get. And so you have the Hill of Moray here, and then to the north, to the left in this photo, this is where Nain is located. And it is this beautiful kind of quaint little town village even today. This is what it looks like. In fact, I was just uh, in Nain uh, just within the last couple of months, and this is just a beautiful, astounding um, little town village that uh, is sitting near Mount Tabor and the beautiful connection to uh, the Jezreel Valley and whatnot. But this is Nain, and this is where Jesus raised this boy back to life. And so we have that on the north side of the Hill of Moray. Now, one of the other questions that we ask, because some of you are like going, okay, that's great. That's, that's Nain. Great. So what? Who cares? Why did we just spend a couple minutes talking about that? 
So here's where one of the other questions that I list in the geographical section in the ebook becomes really important. And that question is, did anything else happen in this location in the past? Like in this location, in this area, because oftentimes when a location is given, it's connecting us back to a reality that's happened in the past. And I hope that if I'm asking this question and you're hearing me ask this question, you're going, well, apparently the answer is yes here because there's no other reason why we'd be exploring this. So the answer is yes. Check this out. Let me read to you 2 Kings 4. 32 to 37. And this is pertaining to a guy by the name of Elisha. So this is 2 Kings 4, 32 to 37. When Elisha reached the house, there the boy was lying dead on his couch. He went and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came in, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. So this is a story dealing with Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. 800 years or so before the time of Jesus, and this happens to the Shunammite's son. Now, Shunammite is connected to the ancient village or city of Shunam, and check out where this place is, because Elisha raises this woman's son in this location. Shunam is on the south side of the hill of Moreh. It's just 2.2 miles. Like if you go from Nain and you go around the hill of Moray to Shunem, we're 2.2 miles away. It's just over the backside of the hill. In fact, I was once talking to one scholar who said, I actually believe that Nain was kind of like the New Testament Shunem, if you will. Now, Shunem seems to be still a bit in existence, um, and maybe they know something archaeologically that I don't know, but the idea is, is these two villages are connected to each other by the Hill of Moray. One's off the north side, one is off the south side. And you go, that is so fascinating because in this story, and by the way, here's a picture of what uh, of Shunem even looks like today. So again, just off the backside of the Hill of Moray, is that what Jesus does here is what we call an action remes. So remes is just a Hebrew word that means hint. And oftentimes, Jesus will say something that will connect us back into a story from the Hebrew scriptures. So he'll quote a key word or a phrase, or he'll make an allusion to some story, and you go, oh, I need to know what that story is in order to import it into the present moment. Jesus does this by an action, because... Elisha raises the Shunammite son, her only son, in Shunam, and then roughly 800 years later, Jesus goes to Nain, and he raises a widow's son, her only son, and you go, this is fantastic. And it leads you to another question. And the other question is, or another question you can ask is, well, if Jesus is connecting himself into Elisha here, is there anywhere else that Jesus connects himself to Elisha? And of course, by now you're thinking the answer is yes, and you would be right. So check this out from Raising the Dead on the Hill of Moray to this story now in 2 Kings 2, 
19 to 22. Oh man, listen to this. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So, in this passage, Elisha's first miracle, after striking the Jordan with Elijah's cloak... It was turning bad water into good water. Friends, do you know what Jesus' first miracle was that is recorded, and it's actually recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 2? Some of you are going, ah, yes, I already know. Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine. So Elisha takes bad water and he makes it good. Jesus takes good water and he makes it like really good. And so you see another connection between Jesus and Elisha, which begs us to ask the question again, are there any other stories that connect these two together? Check out for us 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44. Here's how we have this story goes. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and will have some left over. Yes, this is in the scriptures. Most of you are going, I never knew that was there. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. So, friends, we have a story where Elisha fed a hundred men at Gilgal with a little bit of bread. Did Jesus ever do this? Of course he did. We've got two stories in the Gospels where Jesus fed 5,000 and 4,000. Now, in these stories, it says these were the men. It said besides women and children. So there was actually a lot more people than just 5,000 and 4,000 at these two feedings. But just like Elisha, Jesus fed a big group of people with a little bit of bread and there were leftovers. Feeding of the 5,000, there was 12 basketfuls and the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven basketfuls. And just like Elisha, Jesus has a story where he feeds them with limited food and there are leftovers. And we have another story, which begs the question again, and you're going, no stinking way. There's, there can't be another story. Oh yeah, there is definitely another story. 2 Kings 5, 13 to 14. Check this one out. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Now, this is just a couple of verses from a much larger story, but Elisha heals Naaman of leprosy. 
and you go, yeah, there's stories about Jesus healing people with leprosy. Yeah, there's actually several stories. The one that I just want to highlight in this connection is Luke 17's story about Jesus healing 10 lepers because that story actually connects to the Naaman story, and that's the story that we're going to tackle in next week's episode of the teaching series. But friends, we have another connection here between Jesus and Elisha. So simply by coming to a passage in Luke and seeing in Luke chapter 7, where it starts off in the verse 11, they came to Nain and then going, okay, so where is this on a map? We see Nain and we ask a second question, has anything happened here before like this? All of a sudden, we've been sent on this amazing rabbit trail of seeing how Jesus is pulling himself in to the story of Elisha. And for many of us, we're probably scratching our heads going, okay, so what's the point? Like, what is going on here? Well, in all of this, we see that Jesus raises the dead like Elisha, improves water like Elisha, feeds many with minimal food like Elisha, heals leprosy like Elisha, but he's doing this a bit differently. He's, he's raising not just one person back from the dead, he actually does three. You also have Jairus' daughter and Lazarus. Improving water, right? Elisha, by the way, Elisha just raised one person back to life. Elisha, bad water, good. Jesus takes good water and he makes it like really good. The feeding many with minimal food. Elisha is 100. Jesus does at least 9,000 men. And then you got plus women and children on top of that. A massive number of people. And then the healing of leprosy. Elisha heals one person with leprosy. Jesus does more than like 11 people, 12 people, I think Luke has in that whole story. Jesus is doing that. And what we're seeing here is that the gospel writers, Luke particularly, is helping us see that Jesus came in the spirit and the power of the prophets, only he was doing it better. So what we have here, and this is one of the things that I think is just so helpful about this particular study, is that Jesus is constantly connecting himself back into the Hebrew scriptures, back into the story of the Bible. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's making sure that everybody understands that he is in line with the prophets. And he's functioning at this point in the northern part of the country. And in Israel's history, Elijah and Elisha are two major prophets that functioned in the north. And Jesus has stories where he's connecting himself into Elijah, but it's this story in connection to Nain that sets us on this trail to recognize that Jesus is connecting into Elisha, and you recognize Jesus is carrying the story forward, that the Bible is one big giant narrative. It's this massive, big, beautiful story, and Jesus is the fulfillment, and he's carrying the story to its climactic moment, and he wants everybody to understand that he's not operating disconnected to the scriptural story. He's operating in the heart of it and he's carrying it somewhere. And friends, that's why he does this healing at Nain. The opportunity is there. Luke records the story for us. Jesus is connecting into the story. But what's more is he is greater than all the prophets that came before. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Jonah. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Elisha. He's greater than all of them. And he's come to take the story forward. And so I believe that that's just a really helpful way 
for us to take kind of like an application piece about, so what about this particular story? But as I was thinking more about this too, because you know, one of the things that we're talking about is we want to walk the text. We don't just want to become smarter with the text. We don't want to just know more. It's like, so what can we do with this? How can we walk this? So how does this tangibly change how I walk out life this week and in our lives today? And so here's what I was just thinking is that with respect to this story, and when you look at everything else Jesus does, I think a takeaway we can make from the story today is this. Everything Jesus does is intentional. Nothing is random. Nothing Jesus does in the gospel stories is random. And for me, how this at least connects for me as I've been thinking about this, and, and I hope that it connects to you for some, in some way, is that many times I think that we think that what Jesus does in our life is random. Like there isn't an intentionality. It's just kind of out there. We don't understand it. And it just feels very random to us. And what I believe is, is that just as Jesus was intentional with everything he did, I believe Jesus is intentional with everything he does in our lives. And sometimes we understand what Jesus is doing, and, and oftentimes we don't, in that there comes these moments where all of a sudden we have a Nain, and then we're able to connect Nain to Shunem, and then all of a sudden we see that connection, and we go, oh my goodness, there's all of these other connections, and we are met with the reality that Jesus has been very intentional with our stories, even if we haven't understood it, even if we haven't been able to connect the dots, that we do get these moments where the pieces come together and we recognize just how intentional Jesus has been in our story. So friends, however this hits you today in your own life, in your own story, I pray that you would just recognize that Jesus is intentional. Nothing he does is random. Nothing he does in the text is random. And I don't believe he does anything random in our lives as well. And so I hope that helps you as you just walk out this story uh, in the day that you have ahead, in the week you have ahead, in just the days and weeks and months ahead, that this would be one of those stories that would stick with you. So friends, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for watching. For those who are listening to the podcast, thanks for listening. If you're engaging this anywhere other than at Walking the Text, you can head over there. You can leave comments. You can send this to friends or family, people that you think, hey, just check this thing out. You can post it to social media, all of that great stuff. But friends, again, thanks for stopping by and may you walk out the text well in your life. Bye.